Hello everyone, I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another Red Shirt Friday edition of Roll Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. John Bolin, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. What you're telling me cannot be true, John Bolin. It's the first Friday of the month, which is when we turn to our resident law enforcement expert. Because you had 20 years, you are a law enforcement expert. Anybody does anything for 20 years are an expert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't like the word expert, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> law enforcement guru. Veteran. You want to be a veteran? Guru, you want to yeah, show yeah. Law enforcement yeah. veteran. That's a good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially today, right? Especially I'm today, not myself. <laughs> um, and I just finished my across the pond with Andrew Henderson, my buddy in the UK, and lo and behold, he taught me that today was the day, August 7th, 1782, that the first Purple Hearts were awarded. Yeah, I, I saw just a little bit of that on the news this morning. I didn't, I was flipping through channels and saw a discussion. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that either. Well, and then because he brought it up, I didn't know it was on the news, but now now I know why Andrew knew about it. Um, yeah, that's right. Because that's he brought right. it up, I went back digging. So George Washington issued those first three Purple Hearts, and then apparently we just forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> Until 1927-30, and the next Purple Heart was awarded in 1932. Wow, there's a big gap there. Yeah, big gap because it just it left sight of my. I guess somebody's internet connection went dead for a minute or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but phones and internet went down at yeah. the White House. And so I think <laughs> what happened was um, the military generals and and uh, hierarchy were probably sit around sitting around talking about how brutal World War One was, and somebody said, "Wait a minute." Why don't we give him a Purple Heart like George Washington did in 1782? And so now, mm-hmm. and every, how many Purple said, Hearts? Well, have been, what's a Purple Heart? How many Purple Hearts have been granted <laughs> in 20, yeah. 2020? I'm asking if you know. Oh no, I have no idea. 1.9 million. Wow! Wow, that's amazing. That says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, and it what makes I you, makes you really grateful. What I don't know and would be really interesting, and somebody surely has this, how many people have served in the, the military since 1776? Mm. Oh, wow, that's going to be, yeah. Uh, there's, that's, there's a couple. be a staggering number. There's, what, 2 million today in the U.S.? So you take 2 million times 200 years, which obviously 1920, it wasn't 2 million, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Purple Heart History. The veterans, yeah. Yeah. You um you brought up a good point that I think we should expand upon. You're telling me that it's been two years since you first joined this program? Yeah, February twenty second, twenty eighteen. Um was well, that was the day that it was posted on YouTube by uh, I think Protect the Harvest. Oh, that was posted our interview on, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, so it was it was early February of eighteen. Yeah, that uh, you you and I finally got together. Um, other well, than on the phone a couple. Yeah, of times because later. you finally took my calls. I was hounding you and calling. Yeah, me. I was. 
Mm-hmm. You were playing hard to get. Yeah, I was. I was pretty uh, intimidated by the thought of of lawsuits coming out of New York City at that time. So I was a little <laughs> bit hesitant, but that's all behind us, Trent. You lost your fear <laughs> of lawsuits now. Yeah, it's. I mean, if they were, you know, it, it's hard to sue somebody for telling the truth. It really is. I mean, oh the, no, uh, it happens. It happens. Oh, I'm sure it does. The the information that I that I have stored and saved uh, would they don't want that to be brought out mm-hmm. in court. Trust me. <laughs> so so yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting couple of years. I want to go back and relive that. And I think that would be a great theme of today's program. Excuse me, but I don't want what I'm about to share get, to get lost in the weeds because we got away and forgot to give a purple heart. You know what I mean? Maybe this is not a new tactic, but I see something new happening, and I now I'm aware of two veterinarians who are uh, have been charged with animal abuse charges. One of them is in Alabama, the one I'm the most familiar with, and they're not alleging that these veterinarians contributed to animal abuse or neglect in any way, shape, or form, but they had clients that have been convicted of animal abuse, and they were the veterinarian of record for said clients. So the animal rights organizations are now trying to hold veterinarians who work for these people accountable. That's Mm -hmm. a whole new level of stupidity right there. Yes, sir. And it's interesting you say you, you're talking about Alabama. I don't know which one you're you're referring to, and I don't know if you want to show the name. But it that I uh, I was involved in a case in Alabama with with the ASPCA, uh-huh. and they wanted to pursue charges. The ASPCA was pushing the local law enforcement to pursue charges against the, a veterinarian there. So it, it's not a new tactic. Um, if if it's not a veterinarian that's that's um, pro animal rights extremism, then of course they're going to target those veterinarians because those veterinarians are telling the truth for the most part. And there's a bad apple in every bush, and we all know that. But for the most part, they're being honest and upfront and telling the truth, and they have documentation to show that folks are doing what they're supposed to be doing with their animals, and. If if they don't fall fall in line with the animal rights extremists and 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 get on board with the narrative, then they become a target. Absolutely, I, and there's some states now that are that have um, freed up veterinarians to report animal cruelty. In other words, before they were held to, um, you know, privacy. They they like they weren't allowed. Privilege. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now there's states that have that have changed the laws, and I, you can guarantee this is all animal rights um, backed legislation. They've they've given veterinarians the ability now to report. So if you take a, a an extremist veterinarian that has the same agenda as the ASPCA, HSUS, PETA, right? Then they're going to be reporting people left and right. It's their they feel like it's their moral obligation, you know. They they live in that elitist world mindset, and you take a dog in, um, just for for whatever, and the veterinarian 
decides that you've neglected that dog, and maybe its toenails are too long or whatever. Right. I'm being a little bit facetious there, but it, I'm not. No, either. no, not at all, because uh, how they, many people are charged with animal neglect because their miniature donkey or their miniature horse has, has foundered or has hooves that are not right. what they think they ought to be? Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. Um you know, the fact that someone's taking their animal to a veterinarian is is enough, in my opinion, to say they're trying to do the right thing. Right. Uh, there's just, there's so much of that where instead of trying to educate, I brought this up in a meeting one time. We we were in uh, New York having a, a weekly team, me- a week-long team meeting. They flew everyone into New York City for this week-long team meeting. Paid for by the wonderful donors. Um, you know, we stayed in really nice hotels in downtown in, in New York City, and we ate good food, and we all went out every evening and had a good time, and we were having a team meeting. And um, I brought up, I said, well, why don't we, instead of going out and trying to file criminal charges, why don't we go out and just say, hey, what can we do to help? Mm-hmm. We you, you got in trouble because your your animals kept getting out of their fence, and they one of them got out into the highway, and a car hit it, or whatever, a cow or a horse, or what can what can we do? And we, as when I was an employee at the ASPCA, can we help you build fences? Can we give you some of this these millions and millions and millions of dollars, and you can build new fences? And what can we do? Can we help you with some feed? Uh, Instead of doing that, they would rather just point fingers and, and try to get local law enforcement to charge the the people because maybe they, yeah, well, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the reason was behind whatever happened. What matters to the animal rights extremists is that it's another notch in their belt. It's another number they can add to their total. For you go to the ASPCA, yeah, go to the ASPCA's website. Go ahead. We're all out. John Boland, we got him wound for sound now. We'll be back with more after this. <laughs> Let's talk about technology and food production. Neogen is keeping track of genetics, identifying DNA that you may prefer. In some cases, you may be identifying DNA that you do not want to propagate. That's why you take a look at what's going on with these animals genomically and full details about shining a light on your genetic future can be found at neogen.com. Welcome back to Roll Routes on a Red Shirt Friday. John Boland joining us, law enforcement veteran, also uh, an investigator for an unnamed animal rights organization, just because I don't want anybody giving them more money. Um, oh, that's a good. that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't, I'm just not surprised at all about this veterinarian angle, but that's that's the answer. They cannot be viewed as really being the solution. They want to be viewed as being the solution, but they can't be the solution because if they're truly a solution, then they eliminate the need for money, and the whole thing is about how do we capture the headlines because the sheriff has arrested this veterinarian because his clients were committing to, to animal neglect and he needs to be held accountable please give us another mm-hmm. million dollars to help put these people away absolutely 
Absolutely. We've, we've started this new program now, the veterinarians on our side or whatever the heck they're going to end up calling it, some fluffy name. Right. Veterinarians for animal rights, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need your help. Absolutely. You're right. That's that's exactly what it'll be. It's it's all every, every all of it circles back around the fundraising. So with the economy where it's at today, and you can't tell me that anybody's doing well right now, uh, unless you own Amazon and continue to contribute to the frenzy so that people buy their food at home. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's doing well. Bezos is doing fine. Sure. Are we going to see um, a tick down? A percentage off, half off of the donations to these groups, which continue to perpetuate yeah. myths. Yeah, I, th- I think that there's they're having problems. I think they're having problems now because there's there's I've been seeing some things in in social media where the animal shelters are now trying to get some government money. They're they're all asking for money now, and it, it's mainly the ones that actually operate brick and mortar shelters that are right probably the the big push behind it but a lot of that money is going to go to the hsus and the aspca because they're the national organizations that you know they can distribute that money they in in their mind i'm you know i'm being kind of sarcastic of course but they're let give us the money we'll distribute it appropriately we're the elitist we know what's best for all these little shelters and humane societies across the country let us distribute it in the form of grants or, or or whatever, and then we can control what happens with it. We'll make these people report back to us, and uh, they need to be doing the right thing with this money because people don't have enough sense to handle their own money. Right. You have to have an elitist handle it for you. Um, and you know, it, it's the same way when the grant the grant money to law enforcement agencies they control what happens to it. Which that should be absolutely outlawed. It should be investigated. I've called for that to be investigated. It needs these organizations that have an agenda that that is not in the best interest of our country in any way, shape, or form should not be giving grants to law enforcement, to governmental agencies of any kind, Mm -hmm. and then controlling what happens with it. And they, they have way too much power, way too much power, and they're you know, they, they have – a lot of these shelters are are suffering because there's no animals coming in. There's there's none of this – none of the uh, flow of, of animals that there was prior to COVID. Yeah. that's. I saw one report, and it just hit me wrong. A lady was talking about a rescue dog that she had gotten from the local shelter. And I'm not holding this, this lady accountable because people just don't know. But it right. was this lady reports that it was clear this dog came from an abusive home. You, lady, do you know where that oh. dog, that dog <laughs> came from and where that abusive home was? Chihuahua, Mexico. Where? Because oh, nobody well, knows. The reason that we have the the re- reduced... No, it's funny that you try to say that they're position. You say that they're trying to position this as, we just don't have enough dogs coming into our shelters. That's because nobody's mm-hmm. crossing the border illegal. These 90% of the dogs in shelters come out of Mexico with drug runners. They don't come from abusive homes in your local area, people. The numbers speak right. loudly about that. Right. And they come from China and, and South Korea and, and anywhere else that these folks think that they can swoop in and 
for a big photo op about saving meat dogs and or whatever, and they bring all of those dogs with all of their all of their issues and all of their problems over into our country. That the the, the millions and millions of dollars spent to import dogs to fly them in and ship them in is just unfathomable. When that money should be used here locally, yeah, to support the local animal shelters, to sh- support the the spay and neuter clinics and stuff like that, the the little the little small town um, shelters that are doing real good work for local communities. And you're just speaking of the dogs that come in legally from other countries. I was speaking to the dogs that come illegally, right? Primarily from right. Mexico. Which, by the way. We have no ability to monitor the health status of those dogs, and they put everybody's dog at risk. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, there need there needs to be a lot of work a lot of work done in this area. The closing closing the borders and safeguarding our borders has it, it has a lot more to do with or has it has as much to do with the animals crossing as as the people. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, suddenly we have less of a national debate on immigration, whether it be dogs or people, don't we? Yeah, 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 we do. The focus has definitely shifted. We'll hopefully get some peace and quiet. Uh, or what, no, it won't be peace and quiet. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's a, wishful that's thinking. A pipe after right after the election, there'll be, yeah, there'll be a whole new, whole new can of worms open up, some God knows what. Uh, in an unrelated note to what we're talking about, but yet almost related, uh, Lindsay and I made a trip this week to southwest Missouri. We judged a pig show. And in May, Landry and I went to Pennsylvania, dropped down to Georgia, and came home. There were some states that had a, a level of uneasiness, like Pennsylvania was the worst at the time. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem to matter right now. Nebraska is fine as a state, but the Lincoln mayor has everybody on edge because there's a mandatory mask issue, and you can just tell everybody's mm-hmm. just just crazy. Right. And one gas yeah, station we went in. Yeah, we went into Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> they they didn't say there's a mandatory mask because we never wore a mask once in a place, mm-hmm. but the front door said. This is what it said. Without saying there's a mandatory mask uh, issue, if you're not happy with the current mask mandate, <laughs> call the mayor. It is, and it has a number. Call the mayor of Lincoln, and it has a number right there. <laughs> I thought That's this, great. I should have took a picture of that, but I didn't want to promote yeah, the whole yeah. situation. But that was I love that approach. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I saw a sign. I, I might have mentioned this last time we talked. I don't remember, but I saw a sign on a on a door that said um, "mask are required." However, if you're not wearing one, we will assume that you have a medical condition that we cannot ask you about. Yeah, that exempts you from. A mask. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. That that leads me into a whole another topic that I want to harken back on your law enforcement days, but I don't want to bring that up until because I have one minute left in this segment. Mm-hmm. Um, so the impetus behind you wanting in one minute or less, which brought us to that mm-hmm. February 2018 radio program. How do you summarize that now, looking back? Oh wow, 
I I can't do that in a minute. <laughs> We're in the no, world I, of brevity. You have to be brief. Yeah. No, you're that to summarize that the reason I reached out to you, the reason that you and I met in the first place was I I needed a platform. I was really seeking somewhere to tell my story about being inside an animal rights organization and and the the absolute falsehoods and garbage and and borderline criminal activity that was occurring within the organization. I couldn't get anybody to listen to me. It, it's a tough a tough thing to tackle. Politicians and 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 uh, folks don't want to they don't want to go after the animal rights extremism uh, lobby. They're they're a massive powerful organization. Well. And, and it really it, is one it, organization. Isn't it just, oh, we're going to come back to that. But I, I, from a political standpoint, I think people campaigning see it as political suicide if you're going to go after an organization that's perceived to be mm-hmm. doing good work for animals. And right. by the way, you are dead ass wrong. I don't think I can say that. I just have to fix that. But uh, <laughs> you did do You summarized it in a minute, 45 seconds. You're better than you Good. think you are. Yeah, I'm getting you're, better. You're, you're like a you're, teenage girl. We just got to work on your confidence. <laughs> Roll out, John Bolin. <laughs> we'll be back with more after this. And let's talk about identifying genetics that work. The myostatin gene works at making beef tender. The Piedmontese cattle possess the myostatin gene. Lone Creek Cattle Company has mastered the reproduction and multiplication of these cattle that produce tender beef. The reason I'm sharing it with you is that all that's left is you to contact Marlon Will and say, hey, what's Trent talking about? $300 premium over regular feeder calf price? That's possible. It's happening. That's what we're doing. Get details about ghost calves and $300 premiums at www.LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Certified Piedmontese. <laughs> Welcome back to the roll route. Fred Luke, our redshirt Friday. John Bolin, law enforcement veteran. That's why we wear red shirts to say thank you to those individuals protecting our freedom. Law enforcement, by the way, is part of that. Hey, before we get into what I wanted to talk about, uh, Lindsay and I, as I mentioned in the last segment, went to Springfield, Missouri. We were judging a pig show. We had 260 pigs. We judged from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was a fantastic day. But the one event that we I always look forward to, and Lindsay kind of ran this. Lindsay, if you don't know, is going to be 18 in two weeks, so she's a senior in high school this year. Oh, wow. And she Congratulations. is an amazing swine showman. She's won a state competition twice. She's just fantastic. So I let her run this uh, showmanship thing, and I was just dad helping. And I and my helping was I talked to every kid, so I had to ask questions because I want to at least make them think about what they're doing and the bigger picture of why we have pigs and the purpose of pigs and things like this. But we had I think seven peewee showmen. Peewee showmen are, I believe, seven and under. I had this five-year-old boy, just the cutest little guy, and uh, so he's showing his pig, and I stop him and I ask him about his pig, and I said. What do you want to be when you grow up? And I was, you know, ready for him to say a pig farmer or something. He said, I want to be a police officer. Oh, wow. I was like, hey, that's really cool. Thank you for wanting to do that. And I just thought I needed to share that with you because it was precious. That's, it is. That is. And that's, that's great. That's great because we, in, in this climate, um, it's, it's a, it's a profession that, 
is going to require a lot of a lot of uh, changes. I believe um, the changes are are happening, whether law enforcement likes it or not. The changes are being pushed on, but there there's going to have to be a shift. And knowing that there's young people that are still interested in doing it says a lot, and it, it says a lot about the way that they're being raised. You know, that's what that's what really Absolutely. warms my heart is think, thinking about how that young man must be raised to, to believe that that's something he wants to do because there's a lot of folks that are spreading a lot of negativity and hate towards authority. So, Okay, so along those lines, and, and now this is going to harken back on your law enforcement days, um, mm-hmm. we won't go into the theories behind why we have the COVID uh, hysteria. Maybe we will later, but I'm not going to start there. I mm-hmm. saw a statistic yesterday that I believe to be true, and I'll tell you why I believe it to be true. Your child is 66,000 times more likely to be um, taken into a child trafficking scenario world than contract, mm-hmm. or no, than dying from COVID. Yeah, I saw that too. Okay, so my first thought was 66,000 times. That's that's really off the chart. But I got to thinking about it. It didn't say testing positive to COVID. It said dying from COVID. Kids don't die. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are exceptions to every rule. But this is, the, this is a virus that affects the immune challenge folks, which are typically older. They have something else going on. This is not a risk to kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Child trafficking is a risk and it, it's starting to get some attention but it's a much bigger deal than anybody ever realized unless you're directly involved john can you put this into context yeah and i uh, i i don't know i mean i'm not i wasn't involved in in child trafficking investigations that but but I, I know that it's a real issue, and I, I know that in the past, oh, probably past 10 to 15 years, law enforcement has really stepped up their involvement in investigating child trafficking. There's an individual that I used to work with very closely um, that works for IMPD that is a uh, human trafficking. He would uh, He would be called an expert. He's a good friend of mine, and I would love to try to get you two together. And, and you could do a show on that if you're interested, or just chat with him. Because yeah, no, I'd he, love to do that. I think we need to spend more time yeah. there. Yeah. He and I work together on a lot of organized crime investigations, and he's he's the human trafficking guy for Indianapolis Metro Police Department. Speaking of Indianapolis, with with their the mayor there now and, and the way that he is allowing things to happen. He did the, the mask mandate in the city of Indianapolis. I'm getting off track here, so pull me back if you need to. But the city of, of Indianapolis looks, it's starting to look like San Francisco. A, a good friend of mine, another former police officer, shared a bunch of photos with me from Indianapolis. And uh, I can't believe what it looks like. Trash piled and trash cans overflowing and human feces in the streets and sidewalks is just absolutely mind-boggling. It's only 30 miles north of me, but I have no interest in going to Indianapolis anymore. I have no no need, no desire. Uh, I used to have to drive downtown to work sometimes and go to the federal courthouse, but it 
it's it's sad. It's sad if it was a Republican mayor. I mean, I'm just mm-hmm. going to say what the fact is. If it was a Republican mayor, that wouldn't be happening. Well, we see that all across mayor. this country. Mm-hmm. That we have mayors that are are not conservative because the rural areas have conservative folks. The cities have uh, li- liberal folks. And it's going to be real interesting to me to see how these cities survive this economically. Just think about it. You just said it. You said it right there. <coughs> I have no desire to go to Indianapolis. If people mm-hmm. lose their desire to come to these uh, metro centers, how do they survive? That's true. And, you, you know, it's interesting. This brings to, to mind a, another thought, that, a theory, I guess, that I'm going to pose here. Is, was this the underlying reality of these of these liberal-run cities? Mm-hmm. And the only reason we didn't see it was because of a facade that was put in place when there was a sporting event. I mean, we have Lucas Oil Stadium in right. Indianapolis. We we had a, you know the Colts and the Pacers and, and Indy 500. Um, the fact that none of these things are happening, none of these folks are coming in. The FFA convention has been in yeah. Indianapolis for years and years. The fact that none of this stuff is happening doesn't pressure the city to do anything. They don't need to clean up. They don't need the mayor. The mayor's not going to say, oh, we're getting ready to have this big event. Let's go clean this up. Let's move all these uh, dope heads and these homeless folks. Let's, let's move them off to the outskirts for a minute under the bridges because we have a big convention. That's not happening now, so they're just say, they're throwing their hands in the air. Oh, it's, it's all right. Just let it, let it go. Leave it. And it, they're destroying it. They're destroying the city. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. And, you know, Indianapolis hasn't been exempt from the monument destruction and the monument defacing and the, you know, there's been graffiti sprayed all over things. And uh, it, it's, I'm sure yeah, that we're not and, and, unique and, and here. Indianapolis has never been considered one of those. It's not Minneapolis. Indianapolis is not Minneapolis historically from no. a left-leaning scenario and yet the same exact yeah. things happen. i don't know if it's the same exact there's a lot of destruction in minneapolis but oh yeah it's on the yeah. same path it is well the it other is. the other part of my you walk in i saw people at the my own county fair because um our wonderful extension program mandated mask for the extension personnel at the county fair and there are people i've known for a long time walk up to me and i had to figure out who they were because of the mm-hmm. mask. Yeah. And I'm back to that whole uh, scenario of child trafficking. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, my goodness. I know where you're going with this. We yeah. have everybody masked. How, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you minimize the impact of child trafficking if it's as big of a situation as, as I now believe that it is when everybody's mm-hmm. wearing a mask? It's just like a, yeah. a, a license to, to be a criminal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and, you know, pick your crime. Absolutely. I, I've seen, I'm seeing photos on, on social media of people's, uh, you know, ring cameras and different surveillance cameras or whatever, capturing images of people committing crimes, um, thefts. There was a, in, in the county where I live, the northern part of the county, which is closer to Indianapolis, there, there was a ring of, of tool and, and vehicle thefts. People were, and and there's photos being shared, but they have masks on. <laughs> they don't. 
these guys don't want to catch COVID while they're still in your truck and trailer full of tools. Yeah. And wow. I can I can assure you, Trent, they're not stealing these things so they can work. And I, I also <laughs> assure you that if, when, and when they're caught, I mean, if we still have uh, police def- departments that are allowed to work by their city council bureaucrats, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that mask is going to be their first line of defense. Well, you can't verify that that was really me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Any Any smart defense attorney would definitely be jumping right on that. Yeah. I'm not a defense attorney, and I'm already there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I didn't know we'd pursue that path, but it's just, it's on my mind, and I'm thinking, man, we're just giving this, this free license to people to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's going to have so many different parts of this, this whole COVID thing are going to have far-reaching ramifications on all the little offshoots from it all the little things that we don't even consider right now there's going to be so much um that that comes from this that's going to that's going to be hard to recover from yeah but you know what i'm going to say this because i I said this to my kids recently because i just i i sensed that it was getting, you know, everybody's getting really negative and depressed. And, and I thought, you know, it's my responsibility to, at least in my family, to share. I told my kids recently, and they're all adults. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? This seems bad, and it is bad. There's a lot going on right now, and it's a struggle. But I said, this will pass, and yeah, we will absolutely. recover from it. And there are people in this country that are going to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, including this family. Mm-hmm. And we are going to get through this, and we're going to be fine. You have to look past the the big smoke and mirrors that's in front of our faces right now. We have to we have to understand this country has recovered from a lot of things, and we've snapped back, and we've survived. And um, leaders will new leaders will come out of this. And that, that little that that little kid that said he wanted to be a police officer, those kind of individuals will come out of this. It's Roll Route. John Bolin and I, we will snap back with one more snack segment. Right after the, all of this comes to life at the stand at Paxton County, the movie that's on Netflix. John was at the private screening that took place in Rapid City, South Dakota. It's a true story. It's not a true story. Excuse me. It's inspired by a true story. And it brings to your living room the real challenges that animal rights organizations present to animal ownership. The Stand at Paxton County. Watch it. Let me know what you think. On Netflix. I said that, right? Welcome back to Roll Route Trent Loose. John Bolin, we are into the final segment. Uh, I want to revert back to where we started and maybe where we need to stay. I don't know. It's about life. We just continue to talk about life. You have been uh, attempting to take a path that I think is vitally important and be on the front lines of getting in and visiting with local officials, particularly county sheriffs, about recognizing true animal abuse, um, not falling prey to the rhetoric of the animal rights organizations. How's that coming together? Is it? It is coming together. It's it's coming together a lot um <laughs> it's a lot slower pace than what I when I when I started out at the beginning of this year and and kind of partnered up with some folks we 
we were, it was looking, things were looking good. And just like everything else, COVID kind of put the brakes on. Um, the meetings aren't happening like we'd hoped, but they're, we're seeing a lot of positive feedback. We're hearing a lot of positive feedback. And I'm, I believe that, um, it's going to, it's going to be great. The time, the timing is going to be, is going to be all right. I mean, I understand that, that sheriffs and, and chiefs of police and, and other folks have other priorities right now, but planting the seed is, is important. And that's what we're doing. And it it's, I know that everything happens for a reason. Um, we're planting those seeds and we're continuing to, to kind of get the word out there that, uh, law enforcement. And, and now, in fact, we're having some folks reach out to us, um, and, and request some of the training I'm, I'm working now, uh, to put together with some other folks, put together a good curriculum and a good presentation that we can go ahead and send out and let the sheriffs, you know, view these things, um, at their convenience and, and see the program that we're pushing. And, um, it's, it's going to work out. It's going to be great. All we have to do is get that, turn the tide a little bit. It's the, the sheriffs, especially the sheriffs, uh-huh. They communicate well. So if we can get if we can get three or four sheriffs on board, which we have already, and they start they just start speaking to the others, especially when they start firing back up their conventions and the sheriffs association meetings and things like that, uh, the word's going to spread. And all that's all it takes because then when HSUS comes in, like they are doing in Oklahoma right now, and trying to pitch their training to law enforcement, a local law enforcement officer or a local uh, politician or former politician will say whoa wait a minute wait a minute didn't we just hear something about how these what these organizations are really doing maybe we should just hold off on this for a minute and reach out Mm -hmm. that happened that happened recently and that that made me extremely proud of the work that's being done Um, but you know the animal rights organizations aren't resting they may not be doing the the rescues and the high profile stuff they were doing, but they are not resting. Right. They are still pushing to to do their their training, you know, and their push their agenda. Well, I think here we have the perfect opportunity to illustrate the challenge. And the challenge is you've got the tools, you've got the curriculum, you have the ability, the desire. Somebody has to pay yeah. you for that. I mean there has yeah. to be, you have to be supported in getting and the sheriff doesn't have any extra money. And so no. the challenge is that all oh, the animal rights communities are coming in and offering to do this for no pay because they mm-hmm. use it as a fundraising endeavor for people who are perceiving that they're protecting the pet. You, right. And there no- has to be a funding mechanism to make this happen, and you don't have it. I mean, I'm just telling, right. point, telling the people point blank how this comes to head and how it remains to be a challenge. It, it, that is the major challenge. Now, not only do do the animal rights extremists, you know, approach it that way and say, you know, we have the money, we'll do it. Not only that, but they're they're hiring law enforcement officers and paying them. They're paying them good money. They're not they're not going. The the, the state directors for HSUS aren't going out and knocking on every door of, of every police department. They're finding one friendly law enforcement officer that they can say, Hey, we'll pay you. Um, you know, I'm just going to pull a number out. I don't know what they're paying, but I know they pay well. Um, we'll pay you $50 an hour, hundred dollars an hour, a thousand dollars per seminar, whatever it is. 
to go out and train law enforcement officers. And here's the curriculum. Here's the handouts. Here's all of the the um, lanyards and the hats and the shirts and everything you take out. You give to officers. And, um, we're not asking you to to do a, a, a separate thing or anything right now. But you know, during your regular meeting, maybe during a squad meeting, maybe during just a regular meeting, just just distribute this material. That's how they're doing it. And and to get to to be a sponsor of the National Sheriffs Association, I mean, you, you pull up the National Sheriffs Association website. I haven't looked at it for a while. It may be that still be there, may not. But in their um, their newsletter. A couple of years ago, HSUS was a major sponsor. Right. <laughs> uh, they, they've got them. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to assume that they, every law enforcement agency has been misled and, and, and fooled by these folks. There are, there are folks in law enforcement and in, uh, you know, prosecutor's offices and, and in the, sitting in the judge's seats that are right on board with these folks. So they're going to welcome them in with open arms. <laughs> But even the ones, John, that are not, I've seen this in several counties. If you go in, if the county goes in, if the county sheriff goes in and needs to just take 80 horses, there's 80 horses mm-hmm. that they're going to seize. Mm-hmm. How do they afford, how does the county afford to feed 80 horses? They can't. And right. so when that's they have XYZ animal rights organization that calls the sheriff and says, you know what, sheriff, we're just going to take care of this for you. You won't need to pay for it. We're ta- it's a financial decision that the county has to make yep. to say, okay, we just have to let yep. them take care of it because we'll, this will break us. That's right. That's right. It doesn't take them long at all to make that decision. Right. They're back in a corner. When it's already reached the point of of a seizure, it's already reached that point. The sheriff is back in a corner. Absolutely. I saw it all. I saw it everywhere across this country uh, when I worked for the organization that they they reach out there and they start saying, well, we'll We've got this complaint, and we'll help, and here's our expertise, and don't worry about the probable cause affidavit. You're not, you're not used to typing up a probable cause affidavit for an animal case, but we have these pre-done, these pre-typed PC affidavits that we can send you from New York, and uh, all you have to do is sign at the bottom. You sign it as the affiant after you, you and the prosecutor read through it if you're okay with it. Of course, you know, you add your own stuff there, too, whatever you observe from your visit to the property. But, you know, here it is. This is what you need to seize. This is what you need to look for. This is the kind of evidence we're going to look for. Oh, and then, by the way, we're forensic experts. We're evidence collection experts. We're going to come in and man, such a joke. They, the, these experts are the ones that couldn't tell a, a vain hen from a fighting rooster here in Indiana. These are the experts that are going onto your property. Um, let's seize those 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 black astrolorp laying hens out there. They're wandering around free ranging on this property next to these fighting roosters because, you know, I'm sure they're fighting chickens. <laughs> I, I have to laugh. It's so ridiculous that that incident when it happened. Thank God for the Indiana Board of Animal Health and a good Indiana law enforcement officer that stepped up and said, "No, you're not taking them." In fact, step back out on the road. Yeah, you probably have to bring the listener up to speed. Yeah, on on but, that particular story. On that story. Oh, yeah, on that, yeah, story. that thing. That that was after I I had went to work for the animal rights organization, and and there was a a cockfighting case here in Indiana, and the VP decided he was going to come down, and he was on the scene, 
and we had we had already taken and and caged up all of the fighting roosters that had been they were tethered out they they tethered the roosters out and it, it's obvious to anyone that knows anything about cockfighting or, or in that world that i was pretty well versed in it's obvious what's a fighting rooster and what's not first of all you're not going to let your your the, the your game fowl run free range and there's just a huge difference you can look at adam and tell there's a huge difference and i'd need a lot of time to go into all the differences but yeah, you have well, actually i'm gonna you can use also a, confide in with that. <laughs> i'm gonna use a pig analogy um you yeah. know, I have these sows that uh, are pretty important to me. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. let them just run willy-nilly. I keep right. them in some level of confinement. I'm not afraid of that word, confinement, for their own protection. Mm-hmm. Right, right. The same same way there. These, these folks, you know, for the most part, take a lot of pride and spend a lot of time and, and money and effort on their animals. Mm-hmm. These, these other chickens that were free-ranging on this property, his rationale, he said this to me. I had a conversation with him, and I didn't really have a lot of recourse because I worked for him at that point. But I had folks on the scene that I had worked with previously that had the authority to make the call, thank God. But I, he, he came to me, and he said, well, aren't those, shouldn't those be caught and seized? And I said, no, they're, not, they're no part of this. They're no part of it at all. And he said, well, couldn't those hens get over there in close enough proximity to be bred by those roosters, and wouldn't they lay eggs, and wouldn't they have... Wouldn't those become fighting? <laughs> that, as ridiculous as it sounds, was his rationale. That really? there's a possibility. Oh, it's absolutely they could ridiculous. raise a fighting. T- By the way, there yeah. is not a rooster ever lived that didn't want to fight. Well, that's true. That's true. That In fact, it's interesting you say that. Because I, I have two, two things that, that happened this week, this past week, here on my little place. That, that hearkened me back to my cockfighting investigation days. Mm-hmm. I, I had to cut the spurs off of a big old rooster. I took him into the garage and got a hacksaw out, and I cut his spurs off because they got too long, and they were he was having trouble walking. And I cut those off. Now, to the animal rights uh, folks, that rooster has been dubbed and, and modified now. So, you know, what am I going to do? He's a big, fat farm rooster. I mean, he wouldn't, he wouldn't last a second fighting another rooster. But he, but, but he would die trying if another rooster came yeah, there. Yeah, he would. That was I, I bought a bunch of straight run, and most of your listeners know what straight run is. You go buy a bunch mm-hmm. of young chickens, and you don't know what they are until they grow up. I bought a bunch of straight run bantams for my grandkids. Oh, they, the they little bantam chickens. They'll fight you. Yeah, well... Out of out of most of them, I mean, then most of them end up being little roosters. So that sounds like a straight run to me, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've had to, we've been down here separate these little banning roosters um, <laughs> because they're just they want to fight. They just they fight, 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 and they it's funny to watch them chase each other around in circles down here around the barn and stuff. But they'll work out. They'll work out that packing order yeah. eventually. I'd pulled one of them and put him in another hen house with a bunch of hens. There wasn't a rooster in. And he's a happy guy. I heard a word out of him. <laughs> <laughs> I just hear him every morning crowing at how happy he is to be alone with the hens. That'll do it. Yeah, we yeah. have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. 
Do you have a mandatory mask on your roosters? That's my question. John Bowen, don't answer that. That might incriminate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, All they roads do lead to a roll route. We got to go. 